the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk with founder and creative director of Ox Creative. Also, socialism versus capitalism. This is The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. I've been gone for a spell. I missed you all. <laughs> so good to be back. And you were missed. Do you ever find, though, when someone says, I missed you all, and people are listening, like, well, you don't know all yeah, of you us. You don't know That's me. <laughs> <laughs> like when someone in the, on the stage goes, and each and every one of you have meant something to me, and there are like 8,000 people in the room. You're like, that can't be accurate at all. That's like if, we ran, if our cars collided right now, you would not know me. <laughs> if our cars Is that a phrase? Is that a saying? No. If our cars collided? No, but I'm going to make it one. That's man, a good one. oh man. I was talking with somebody a couple days ago. I want to be the kind of person that has phrases like that <laughs> and one that i i think it was my uncle used to say he used to say uh if someone said something kind of ridiculous you know the dinner table he'd sit back and he'd go well hoist that up on a flag and see if anyone salutes it <laughs> and i remember thinking good one. yes i want to say weird stuff like that <laughs> that is insane sounding anywho you just have up to on be flag. you have to be willing to like float like 20 that don't work. Right, right. Like you got to be secure enough to but be just nope, to I'm say keep it with confidence, right? To where people are like, that guy's crazy. <laughs> but then there's the one where people are like, that is, that is gold. It's funny. When I was in college and all my siblings who were, you know, a good deal younger than me, we actually had some of those where we like, we would, we would try to implement society with phrases and just pretend like they were normal. <laughs> and the one that I remember is for like three years, anything that was cool, we said it was totally the berries. <laughs> the berries. <laughs> so somebody would do something and be like, oh man. That's totally the berries. <laughs> and you do it with confidence. People are like, is that a thing? And you're like, oh, yeah, man, that's totally a thing. It's the berries. <laughs> we did it for much longer than we probably should have. Uh, that's really funny. Uh, can people find us on the interwebs? Yeah, yeah you can. Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk, plus wherever it is you get your podcast. Brian, what do they tell Alexa if they want to find the show? Uh Alexa, play the Common Good radio show. <laughs> can we confirm that? No, we no, cannot. <laughs> now I feel like you're just intentionally punking the I'm entire not. audience. Uh, all right, so I mentioned Tonight's it. the night. I mean, Tonight's it, the night. Is it, though? Yes. He didn't even make eye contact with just me when about, he said that. I think about how good you're going to feel when I come in and you're like, you ask me and I, and I tell you what it is, and then I just go, it was the berries. <laughs> <laughs> what I would like to say, though, is that it would be quicker for me to build an Alexa myself <laughs> from scratch using berries <laughs> and then asking it to play the common game. Yeah, I just don't even know where our Alexa is. I know that it is oh set up my. in our house. No, I'm doing this tonight. All right. I believe you. Tonight's the night. Here we go. So I, uh, I mentioned it briefly. Two different articles. One says five reasons socialism is not Christian. The other one, five reasons capitalism is not Christian. And uh, you can tell we're stalling because this is a topic that I think both Brian and I are probably feeling a, a little 
over our skis on anyway. But um, they're both interestingly written from yeah. very different perspectives. So why don't we? The first one that was written was by Julie Royce. Yeah. Five reasons socialism is not Christian. Um, we don't have to get through all five, but you want to read uh, one or two that kind of stands out to you? Yeah, it is interesting because especially you'll hear people. Uh, kind of link socialism with Christianity and, you know, Acts 2 and whatever else. And she says uh, that uh, socialism is not the answer, though it may sound compassionate and Christian. It's actually antithetical to everything Christianity teaches. So huh. uh, that's her premise, Julie Royce's premise. And she says, here's why. One, socialism is based on a materialistic worldview. Uh, according to the socialists like Bernie Sanders, the greatest problem in the world is the unequal distribution of wealth. And then she goes on to say, uh, number two, and we can unpack any of these you want, but number sure. two, she says, socialism punishes virtue. She says, socialists want to distribute wealth to individuals according to their need, regardless of virtue. Hmm. Number three, she says, it is not Christian because socialism endorses uh, stealing. Uh, he, she says here, uh, Barack Obama once defended his socialist policies, which is Julie Royce's opinion, to a little girl by saying, we've got to make sure that people who have more money help the people who have less money. If you had a whole pizza and your friend had no pizza, would you give him a slice? And she goes on to say, interestingly, why she, uh, she disagrees with that and why calls it stealing. Number four, she says, socialism encourages envy and class warfare. Huh. Socialists demonize the rich, blaming all society's problems on them. And number five, she says, socialism seeks to destroy marriage and family. And she goes back to how socialism uh, began. Uh, and so that's her her thing. She's going, I'm seeing a lot of people talk about socialism, and I want to highlight why, in her opinion, uh, it is not uh, not only not good, but not Christian. And so, hmm. you know, Julie's opinion and, and interesting there, I think, at the uh, Christian Post. Yeah. And a couple of days later, uh, maybe it's a little bit longer than that. Michael Frost wrote uh, on his website, MikeFrost.net, five reasons capitalism is not Christian. So I want to just, in order to be fair, read his five. Yeah. And with whatever time we have left. We're we trying can... to anger everybody. Yeah, so let's go with both of them. Start the show off with fury. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, so he actually references at the very beginning Julie Royce. So it, this is in a direct response yep. uh, to that particular article. So number one, he says, capitalism benefits the few at the expense of the many. He says the fundamental principles of capitalism systematically undermine social social cohesion, dividing us from each other, impoverishing us, and eventually sacrificing our collective well-being for the benefit of the few. Mm -hmm. uh, next, he says, capitalism promotes greed. Uh, he talks a little bit about, there's a, a quote there that we'll maybe come back to. Next, he says, capitalism treats people as commodities. And he says, capitalism's quest for constant growth is ultimately destructive. And then lastly, capitalism speaks a lot about freedom, but actually limits autonomy. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, we haven't, I know that you haven't had a deep dive into either of these, but do you have a uh, particular statement from either of them that you think, uh, I'd be willing to hang my hat most on that versus this, or do you find yourself somewhere kind of in between? I find myself in, and uh, uh, forgive me if this is just a big punt, but I find myself going, yeah, you're both right. Like, part oh. of our problem is that whether it be a political party or a political system or a political ideology, we're trying to all too often say that's the Christian one. When when you're dealing with fallen, broken humans, they are they both are um, susceptible to sinfulness and greed, and and they're both susceptible to. Uh, neither of them are Christian, right? Like. Uh, the question is, how do you live Christianly underneath either one of them, you know, depending on where you're living? Sure. And so 
you know, I tend to just the way I was raised, I tend to trend towards capitalism. Uh, But I understand where Frost is coming from, because as fallen humans, we are naturally greedy and we are naturally go to the expense of others. Like I get where he's coming from and I get where Julia Royce is coming from. I think what it highlights for me is uh, you could probably write these articles for five reasons. Communist is not communism is not Christian. Five reasons are this. And and it highlights for me the sinfulness and the fallenness of man. Well, and it sounds like we're I mean, again, we're almost out of time anyway. But like, how do you reconcile like what you mentioned at the beginning of the segment? Some of what we see in the book of Acts with what Paul writes here in Second Thessalonians 310. Uh, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a correlation between the two? Because honestly, I think I think Julie makes some jumps here yeah. that uh, that uh, I mean, legitimately just aren't fair. Or to say the socialists don't believe in this or that. Or I mean, they're both obviously shorter articles, so they're having to make some sweeping statements. Yep. Um, but like, do you do you find anything in the Book of Acts where you think ah, this feels more this camp versus that camp if the goal was to get back to Acts 2, which maybe it isn't. I just don't think Acts 2 is setting up a government system, and I think that's where we get ourselves in trouble. I think there are some, (laughs) within the church, there are some ideals out of Acts 2 that we should be really challenged by, right? Like helping everybody in need, sharing of our possessions. I don't think that that's necessarily saying this is the best way to set up your government. Hmm. I do think it's saying, hey, church, you you need to be challenged by these, and if we push it off and be like, oh, that's not how we live. I think that's problematic. Let me just end with how Frost ended his then, because yeah. I think it's actually uh, closely in line with what you're just saying. He says, as I said at the beginning, Christians have managed to find a home in all kinds of political systems, including socialist Scandinavia and capitalist USA. Christians have contributed greatly to the common good in those systems, as well as critiquing them sharply when necessary. Our mistake is to imagine we are ever at home in any of them. There you go. I think that is a good challenge, a good charge, especially in this political climate right now to kind of keep all that stuff at the forefront. Well, coming up next, a uh, a man named Jesse Oxford, who is both the founder and creative director of Ox Creative. He's going to be with us in studio for the remainder of the hour. We're going to talk about all sorts of interesting things here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to, and I encourage you to, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. And uh, all of our articles are posted there. You can interact or send us a message. You can even review it there. That somehow magically helps us. Plus, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good on Twitter, Common Good Talk. And we're also podcasted. Did you know that, Brian? I've heard. We've been podcasted yes. since day one. And uh, wherever it is you get podcasts. Every little, podcast place. Every It's us. impossible to miss us almost. Uh, <laughs> but you can subscribe, rate, and review, and all that does really help us out. It is the show of in-studio guests. Mm-hmm. And I know this doesn't translate to radio, but you might be the guest that that I look most like. I don't know who to look at right now. Yeah. I just don't well, it know. It feels like looking at yourself. Yes. So <laughs> what we is that Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other? <laughs> you have a doppelganger. Too. I'm just really yeah. glad that we're not wearing the same outfit right now. But for those of you who are confused yeah. right now, mm. Uh, that third voice is none other than Jesse Oxford. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks. Happy to be here. Uh, why don't you, as long or short as you want, mm-hmm. introduce yourself to our audience? Well, my name is Jesse Oxford. I'm living the dream here in Chicago. Yeah, you are. Uh, I am married. Uh, I do not have any kids. Mm. Uh, my wife prayed for a child and she got me. <laughs> so it's me, my cat, and my wife of 14 years. Uh, and when I'm not at home relaxing, mm-hmm. uh, I am leading a team of creatives uh, at a creative agency called Ox Creative. 
Uh, and we just partner with organizations who are doing good in the world uh, and just help them with uh, campaign development, brands, filmmaking, just having a lot of fun and, and generally just seeing some great impact come out of it. So that's what we spend the best hours, hours of our day doing. In Cards on the Table, we work with Ox a lot, and the work they do is incredible. If you're like listening right now, you're like, Ox Creative, uh, Google them, <laughs> because yeah. you'll, your mind will be blown. Mm-hmm. OxCreates.com. There you go. Uh, so I'm reading your bio, and it's just your bio is has all this fascinating stuff. I just want to start with the fact that you like the Tour de France or Tour I, de France. I'm Tour sorry. de France. Yeah. Not many people do. Uh, soft day. Yeah. I, I'm a huge sports fan of all kinds of sports, and you could never get me to sit down and watch the Tour de France. So I want to hear why you love the Tour de France. Yeah. Well, I was with you for many, many, many years. Yeah. Uh, I was like, "What is this? It's people just sit in a saddle for a long period of time. <laughs> right. It's obnoxiously wrong, long. Nothing happens. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then I had like a, a room as I was growing up who, uh, yeah, he like started watching it. So I'd, I'd walk through like our apartment and just kind of see him sitting there watching it. And slowly I started to realize that there's actually a strategy to it mm. uh, and that it's not just, uh, yeah, as boring as, as it looks. So like I love how like teams are collaborating to get their riders ahead. Oh, interesting. The beautiful scenery of France. So yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's like the great thing. Um, but yeah, like I used to race BMX when I was in high school. Okay. Uh, I raced bicycles and state champion of Delaware, which has like zero people riding oh, in it. Hey. So that's kind of how I was able to accomplish that. You're wearing the medal uh, right now, yes. actually. I, you know, I carry it around with my, in my pocket just in case. It's very shiny. Um, but yeah, like I, I just really enjoy the race and like the, the, yeah, like I'm not into a lot of other sports, but yeah. that for me is like super interesting. Fascinating. So you are the founder and creative director of Ox Creative. You also uh, have some of my favorite people on planet Earth as a part of your team, which has kind of been a lot of my interest with Ox. Mm-hmm. You've, I mean, I've seen so much your work at this point like it is it's almost embarrassing watching other people's work i'm like they should just call ox what are they doing like mm-hmm. so the level of uh excellence that you bring is one thing but also the diversity of clients that you have um mm-hmm. is remarkable you even say in your bio here that your work has been referenced by a particular president mm-hmm. in his speech um mm-hmm. what was that like yeah that was actually kind of a surprise when when that happened um i was like driving uh, just in my car and I got like uh, a phone call from someone and they like we had kind of collaborated on yeah. uh, on yeah on, on some films and they were like hey the president just referenced us in a speech <laughs> and I kid you not my reaction was the president of what <laughs> I'm like the president of what and I was like is it some university or right, college no, right. no the president so at the national uh, prayer breakfast they, they talked about some um, some films that we had produced on on, on immigration that wow, the National Association of Evangelicals had kind of like uh, been using is kind of facilitating that conversation around. So, did you get mentioned by name, or was it the mentioning of no, the films of like the work? Yeah, so no kidding. It was pretty cool. And honestly, that just came out of like a just like a passion project where just some people that I had built some relationships with, and I was like, you know, like I don't really understand a lot of of this issue, but I want to mm-hmm. take a, a Fourth of July and just spend some time with some undocumented immigrants and no kidding, ask them their stories who are believers and just kind of say. What, you know, is your experience like and just being able to travel to Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty on the 4th of July wow. and just learn some things. Um, it's kind of cool for me. And, yeah, it was awesome that the president was aware of it yeah. in some way. Or, amazing. or one of his aides was just like, here, it's in the speech. Put it on the speech. <laughs> and he, had, he literally had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. He said it. That's cool. I want to go to your background. At what point did was this the trajectory of your life? Were you like, I want to help, help organizations do good and help with campaigns. Was this always kind of where your life was leaning towards? Yeah. Um, so like, I think that like I grew up thinking of myself as artistic mm-hmm. and weird, <laughs> but I didn't necessarily see any like kingdom impact or mm. like any like 
I didn't see it being practically useful, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and when I was like 21, I just started interning at like a church and a person stopped me in the hall who was like super like operationally minded, like right. the most administrative, awesome person <laughs> you would ever imagine. And they're like, you stop. What are your like spiritual gifts? And I'm like, what's a spiritual gift? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about like right now. And they're like, well, tell me about yourself. So yeah. I just started to say, well, like. I enjoy artistic things. I do music. Huh. I like stuff. Studied theater. Uh, I do design in my spare time. And they're like, "Oh, well, you're creative, and that's like useful." So that for me, that kind of clicked as a 21 year old. No kidding. My like wiring isn't like useless, and like I'm not just weird, but I could be able to use this for good. Wow. Um, so at at that point, um, I was serving at a church. It gave me a lot of focus. I had seen like the arts, you know, be used kind of in that context, mainly for like worship and music and things like that. Right. Um, but somebody handed me like an Apple laptop and one of the old Canon like handy cams. Mm -hmm. And um, so when, when I was in school, I had studied uh, technical theater as like a major. So like set design, lighting, yep, not yep. acting as much, but the technical arts. And then I studied music composition as hmm. a minor. Hmm. But I realized when I had this opportunity to just start using equipment that I wasn't exposed to earlier, hmm. that film is a combination of kind of like all these artistic forms kind of like in one. Right, right. And I was like, oh, this is great. So um, I started to develop that as a main skill, being able to use that inside of like a church uh, context and kind of being a creative director or kind of like producer Ooh, at a yeah. mega church um, for services for their high school students for about like eight to 10 years. Um, wow. So I, I did that for a while um, and was just able to kind of serve at a variety of scales. And um, after kind of like a, a few seasons of that, I was like, I'd like to be able to serve in like a broader way. Um, so I'm going to just kind of step out as kind of like a freelance director. Mm. Not really. I w in no way was I intending to start like an agency or like a company or anything like that. No, I was really? just like, it would just be Jesse using, you know, his gifts. Yeah. Um, but like the opportunities kind of grow and it started off just like being like, I was busy, so it was like me, and then I needed like a support staff. Right. But then like I made a decision that I was like, you know, like if I get hit by a car, I'd love for everybody to still have jobs and for this <laughs> to not be like just about like me. Right. Um, and then just hiring some like great friends that are, are better than I am about things and us being able to collaborate together on some of like the biggest issues of our day. Um, so yeah, I just love the clients that we get to work with and the projects that, um, you know, like our goals is like if you're reading about it on the front page um, or if people, you were to stop somebody and say, what are some of the biggest issues facing our world right now as they mm. list it off? That's the type of thing that we're working on. Mm. I love that, man. And having been to your space in Elgin mm. and even seen some of this collaborative effort, mm. you know, in real time as a, a part of a church staff, mm. uh, that fascinates me. So I want to talk to you next, not just even about like your creative journey, mm. but also the importance and significance of collaboration. Because I think that's something that is remarkably needed regardless of your vocation regardless of your place i think collaboration is something that is important but also yeah. a lot of us struggle to do so i want to ask you about that coming up next we got jesse oxford in the studio founder and creative director of ox creative you can learn more at oxcreates.com and he's going to stick around for the remainder of the hour mm -hmm. here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, or wherever it is you get your podcast. We are joined incarnate, in the flesh, in studio for the rest of the hour by none other than Jesse Oxford, the founder and creative director of Ox Creative. You can learn more at oxcreates.com or at Jesse Oxford or 
at Ox Creates. And uh, I will say this, I can't encourage you enough to do so. Um, the stuff that you've done for Community Christian or even like our big winter conference blast always blows me away and knowing some other players on the team we've had Gavin in the studio here yeah. uh, a few months ago before he became a billionaire or whatever and he is now he's killing the game man, man yeah. oh man he's paying me to work it out <laughs> <laughs> well they made that video and they won a bunch of money and now they're, now they're too cool for us but uh, you were talking a little earlier though about collaboration and how which I love about your story someone just sort of identified and you're like hey you should be doing this and then just actually set you up to do it and how it seems like in some ways you never really planned to have like a full-fledged team but now so much of what you do is collaborative and having sat in some of those rooms as a church client well seeing how you do collaboration like just inspired me can you talk to us a little bit about like your collaborative process and why you think collaboration is so important yeah well like it's true that nothing great is accomplished alone. Hmm. It's like really easy to try to, you know, think that you're a self-contained package of greatness that you're like, I have everything I need on my own. And like, I'm weak if I ask for help or, Mm -hmm. um, that was hard for me. You know, Hmm. it it wasn't always easy uh, to ask for collaboration. I think that that's something I'm still trying to grow in Hmm. because it's like, you know, we all do have skills and gifts and we want to like, uh, grow in them on our own. Uh, and s- like s- sometimes we're like, if we collaborate, then that means I'm not going to be able to bring my full capability right, like, right. Lo- like to the table. Um, but like, yeah, like I really do believe that we're better together and that, that nothing great is, is created alone. So it's important to yeah collaborate on a lot of things. I think that's great, man. As I kind of like thought about like my own story and just kind of like, I, as I mentioned a second ago, how I discovered I, I was creative. Um, one other important thing to me is like when I discovered why I'm creative and I think that that helped to give me a a better framework for like, uh, like creating together with people. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll tell you a story. Let's go back to 1987. There oh, it is. Let's do it. 10 years old. 10 years old. I was a young lad, <laughs> and I was living in Taiwan because oh, wow. my parents were missionaries. Huh. And we had moved to a new country. I'm like a little kid. We like, um, yeah, and, and they picked a school for, for me to go to. And the mm-hmm. first school I went to was like a bilingual school, spoke uh, Chinese and English. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the students who were there um, were like from Taiwan and it was kind of like their home. Hmm. I remember like my first day at school hmm. when I arrived and just felt like I didn't fit in. I walked into like, uh, you know, like there was a, a big plaza and one of the first things that like we did every morning was group calisthenics. Hmm. In my mind, the way I pictured is that there's like 500 people out on the quad, <laughs> all, in, all in formation, going, e, er, san, si, u, liu, chi, ba, like all, all counting through all these poses. Yeah. And I'm like, just got there, and I'm standing in the middle of it, like this, like lone outsider who doesn't know what to do. Right. Mm. And everybody knows what to do but me. And mm. I stand out, I don't know the language, mm. I don't know the positions, and I'm like, ugh, like, get me out of here. Yeah. Like, I never want to feel like this again. Mm. Um, then uh, I like I was there for like a few months and it just wasn't working. Huh. And then um, I went to like a different school where um, on the first day of school at that environment, instead of, of being put into like a room with like a whole bunch of of, of like people that I didn't know speaking mm. a language I didn't understand. Um, it was the year of the snake. 
Uh, it's like Chinese New Year. They had like this is the year right. of the snake. So I walked into an, an auditorium and up on like the front of the um, of the stage, they had all of these paper like snakes all cut out that all the kids had made that like construction paper, yeah. glue, yeah. scissors and all that. Um, so it was just me by myself. And they were like, here's some paper. Here's some pens. Make a snake. Any snake that you want. Huh. Cut it out on your own. We'll be back in an hour. <laughs> And I was like, oh, cool, great. I, I can do that. I can do this. <laughs> like, I know how to do it. And like, I just started making it. Hmm. And that first day of school contrasted like really like heavily with the first one. Because yeah. one, I felt like I, I didn't fit in. Hmm. And the other one, I, I, I knew that like I, I did fit. And I fit because I was able to create something. Hmm. So today, like when our work takes us like all over the world, traveling to all of these different cultures, no matter like where I step into a, a different culture, if I'm able to contribute through creating, hmm. then I have a place to belong. And like, hmm. I know that like I fit and it, it doesn't matter if we speak the same language or right. from a different background. Like I know like my place and we can like, we, we can contribute to what each other are doing. Yeah. I love that, man. So today as like an adult, like, I realized that the reason I create is to give people a place to belong. Mm. I love that. And that's what like, I, I love about doing like every day about inviting artists onto our team and being able to work with other people that like together, like uh, we might feel weird, like we don't fit. We have these artistic gifts that we don't know how to do, but like together when we collaborate, like we both have a place to belong. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. What do you think the, uh, uh, what's the result? We live, right? We live in a culture of rugged individualism, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. what's the result when we buy into that? What, ha what, a, mm -hmm. what is the detriment that we feel? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't need anyone uh, that if it if it succeeds, it's like because of me, 100 percent. And if mm -hmm. it fails, it's 100 percent because mm -hmm. of me. Um, I think that like as like Americans, I think we tend to be a little bit more individualistic and like mm -hmm. a lot of other cultures aren't like that. But right. it's like my role is as a, as a part of my community, you know, hmm. um, and even like with my family kind of, of feeling all of that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we miss out on a lot of greatness because mm -hmm. yeah. um, we think we can do it on our own. Yeah. And uh, without that, because we are trying to be more in individualistic. I do think the work actually suffers in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're spot on there, man. I, I'm curious. And I've, you know, I've seen screenshots and stuff over the years of places you've been, but what are some of the projects or places that you look back on with the greatest amount of like, wow, I can't believe we got to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th I think there are like our places of like of physical beauty that you're kind of right. like, this is a great experience that like I was able to have. So right. like, um, like, like being able to film in, in Chile. So like that's in, in South America, uh, we were in the Atacama desert, which is the driest place on earth wow. it's where they test the Mars rovers. It's like just uh. completely barren and whatever, like, like filming drone aerials and stuff flying through Whoa. these canyons. It felt like star Wars speed speeders. <laughs> Then we went down to Patagonia, hiked for a few hours, um, carrying like all of our gear up to what? this overlook. And there's um, a glacier um, that is like a waterfall. It, it's a, <laughs> a glacier on a cliff into a rainforest with a waterfall going off the end oh of it. Oh, my goodness. That um, place, it's called Keulat. So if you want to check it up on Insta, you can see all the amazing you know, <laughs> things. Um, places like that in Iceland that are just like beautiful. You're like, how does this like exist like in, in, in real places? Right. Um, and then just being able to see like um, pain in, in, in other parts of the world that mm. people who just experienced war for so much of their life and yeah. um, to taking three trips to Iraq to spend time w with refugees and um, seeing what they've wow. experienced and people who are doing great work with like tech startups and stuff that you wouldn't you wow. know, typically associate with northern Iraq, but just some great work, um, which is being done there. Um, 
yeah, just like a lot of different trips, like around, yeah, just seeing like mm-hmm. what God's doing in the world, and um, yeah, I think that it's easy for me as like a comfortable American in the suburbs mm-hmm. of Chicago to think like I'm the only person experiencing hardship, or everybody lives every day like me. Yeah. Um, but the more we like travel to different places, um, I think that um, just really gives us a broader view of like what God's doing in the world. Yeah. If you were to put all the Christians into a jar right now yeah. and draw one out, it would be an African woman. Because mm. that's what the majority of people who are alive right now consider themselves Christ wow. followers are. Wow, that's fascinating. All right, yeah. so coming up next, I want to ask you a little bit more about that. I also know that you just did a uh, a sort of short documentary for Saddleback and Rick Warren, mm-hmm. uh, which was stunning, I thought. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you also write a good deal, mm-hmm. uh, particularly on Medium. You wrote uh, Mastering the Art of Self-Leadership and How We Measure Our Lives. So I want to ask you about that a little bit. Uh, you've been listening to Jesse Oxford, founder and creative director of Ox Creatives. You can learn more at Ox oxcreates.com or the handles Jesse Oxford and oxcreates to learn more about them and their work. I can't encourage you enough to do so. That's going to be coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us or digital representations of us on mm. Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. I like how you give it the pastor. Yeah. Mm. Yes, digital oh, representations. Well, yeah, that's not the people real. might be confused. I just want to make sure that we're <laughs> crystal clear. Uh, you can also find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcast. We are joined all hour by Jesse Oxford, founder and creative director of Ox Creative. You can learn more at Jesse Oxford or at Ox Creates. Website is oxcreates.com. Plus, you do a bit of writing, which I'm also... Just to be completely transparent, like you're clearly gifted in the filmmaking aspect of things. But when I read your posts on Facebook, I'm like, gosh, darn it. He's a good writer, too. <laughs> like, that's a little frustrating. And then you're also doing some bike riding as of late, right? You've been uh, posting some. Are you training for something specific? The Tour de France. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to ask you it's that. It's one but. of these things where you're like, you know, start doing something as like a goal. And right. then the instant you tell somebody about it, like you're like committed. Yeah. Right. So now you're asking me something like publicly about a thing. Yeah. So. I, at the beginning of 2019, I was the heaviest I had ever been. You look at me and you're like, oh, you're a wiry little fellow, but like, well, yeah, maybe, but it wasn't good. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I started doing some like indoors, like cycling, spinning, Peloton, like commercials last year, people freak out (laughs) over it. So you're like, wait a second, what's up? (laughs) He produced those videos actually. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I have some friends that shoot them, but but, like um, for me, like last year I experienced a lot of hardship and Mm -hmm. I was like, if it wasn't for the exercise, like my like mental health would be completely different no kidding was so uh, it was a fitness thing it just helped me to get my mind right and just to be able to spend time with god and uh yeah so like now after i'm done with like the indoor stuff i'm kind of like maybe i could get out of the house a little bit after doing 1400 miles on a bike that goes nowhere last year (laughs) wow i'm like maybe i could get out of the house so um (laughs) the first ride i'm going to try to do is in a couple of weeks and it's called the pastry bike pastry So it's 50 miles, and you get eat donuts while you do it. While you do it? Yeah. Well, at each station, you know, they handle oh, that. that's so incredible. That's it. So Can that's I drive that my car station to station? Maybe. maybe. <laughs> but then after I do that, there's like an, another ride called the Barry Roubaix, and that's in in Michigan, and it's a gravel race. Right And on. it's like a 36-mile thing that wow. I was just accepted off the wait list yesterday. Yeah. So I might fail, but who knows. Okay. Well, that kind of segues nicely into this. One of the articles you wrote says, Mastering the Art of Self-Leadership. Talk to us a little bit about that article. It's easy when you uh, like feel like you're struggling with something in mm-hmm. your life to 
blame it on your circumstances hmm. or like somebody else. Right. Um, and like for me, I think, I think I take a little bit too much ownership, like mm. at times where it's a, a little hard, like everything that kind of like happens, I'm like, oh crap, like I need to like grow. Right. But I think like the self-awareness has kind of like served me like in a way. Hmm. Um, and yeah, just like as like I, I lead a team, I think a lot of the stuff that I share with them and like our vision meetings on Monday morning, if you were to gather with like the 10 of us, you know, through that is kind yeah. of like most of the things I share are things that I've just learned myself. And yeah, like, I, I had that. to like lead myself kind of like in, in these areas hmm. um, for me. So I think that like a lot of what I write about is kind of like me processing stuff that I need to learn. And hmm. then I'm like, oh, cool. This might help other people, too. So how can I kind of share that? I love that. So like one thing that like I have written about is just like like energy buckets and just kind of knowing like as a you know, person who stays pretty busy, who likes to be involved in like a lot of things at the same time, like what do I need to do to make sure that I'm at my best, like all the time mm. that my energy is up, um, that like I'm doing it in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, and I'm not like a victim of, uh, like my circumstance. Yeah. That's good, man. Um, yeah. So that's just kind of like a bit of like that. Yeah. I mean, that's great. What are those things for you? What are your energy buckets that keep you from burning out? Yeah. So, um, I think like other ways of thinking about is kind of like a replenishment cycle. Yeah. Um, so I think that there are things it's easy to like make like a list where you're like every day I have to do like all of these things and then it becomes like this, this burden instead of like serving you. Um, so if there are things that I know that I need to do on a daily basis, things I need to do on a weekly basis and things on on a monthly basis. And if I kind of like know what those things are, then it's helpful. So one is like, we talked about cycling. Hmm. If I'm riding two to three times a week, half an hour, I know that like, I'm like good, like, and from like an an energy standpoint, that's part of the equation that kind of factors into me. Um, if I'm spending time in scripture and like in, in worship, you know, like on a daily basis for me, just kind of keeps me in like a right mindset. I'm all about input. So having conversations like this, where I'm just like feeding ideas off of people and the act of having to share what I've learned Hmm. sometimes helps to synthesize it a bit more in your own mind, where if you're just like on your own, but you never talked about it with Mm -hmm. anybody, you wouldn't like learn it. Right. And that helps me to get like new ideas from people. So it could be a conversation in a coffee shop. It could be like reading articles, um, but that kind of like input. Um, for me fuels me as I'm having to create instead of just being drained all, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And then I spend a lot of time like reading um, every mm. day. Like I'm, I'm constantly just reading as much as I can. And those like things like all together. Um, yeah. Just kind of help me to feel refilled. I don't think I have to do like all of them all the time. Yeah. But if I start to lose out on like two, like, you know, two or three of these, I haven't done for a long time. Right. Um, people start, not liking being around <laughs> and my so wife's so the first notice like yes. you seem off yeah are you mm-hmm. doing this thing mm-hmm. now okay because of your story mm-hmm. that you told earlier about being this 21 21 year old guy mm-hmm. that somebody kind of spoke life into mm-hmm. what would you say to the person listening right now and they're like i feel kind of out of place or i feel like i have this creative spark but i don't i don't really know where to put it or what to do with it what, what would you say to that person here's the question for you <laughs> you're gonna need to take time for this so break out your pencil and write this down what makes you so angry that you could work on solving it for 10 years? Hmm. Somebody asked me that the other day and I was like, what? <laughs> and then like, like a week later I realized, Oh, that's why I started ox. Wow. I'm like, it makes me so mad when like awesome organizations and like the body of Christ and like people who are doing great things, like have really bad communication hmm. or like 
oh, like if they, oh, yeah, if they had like the great visuals to kind of pair with all this, or like right. a better strategy, like how can I help with that? That makes me really like frustrated when um, I see great things that I think could like improve, and I want to use my gifts towards it. Yeah. Um, but what is it for you? Like, mm. um, a lot of times we try to think about like what what what's a job that I know of that I would enjoy, and I think that. I mean, it can be helpful, and maybe you know what that is, but if right. you think about, like, what makes you, like, frustrated or, like, yeah. you're like, I would love to just keep working on that. Um, That's a great question. What, what problem were you born to fix, yep. right? Like, what is that thing? Yeah. You, you also mentioned, too, so I want to make sure to give uh, enough time for this because you have uh, you have your website, you have mm-hmm. Ox Creative website. Mm-hmm. We also mentioned that there's a collaborative tool mm-hmm. that you're mm-hmm. maybe looking to start a Kickstarter maybe. for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, this is actually like a great example of collaboration as mm. well. Cause like a friend of ours, his name's like Mark Matlock. Yeah. Uh, he's like an author and does like a lot of good stuff. We like collaborate on projects like all, all, all the time. So mm. um, he came to us like a, like a, a year or so ago and was like, Hey, I had this idea for like uh, a card deck that we could kind of develop. I've seen like in your creative process, a lot of times when you develop a campaign, uh, you use like analog objects or like real world things as hmm. like a, a Kickstarter to like l- launch a campaign concept around. So like hmm. in our world, we lean into digital creativity so much hmm. that like it helps to kind of like let's start with something real instead of a, a, a digital thing. Hmm. So anyway, so what we've done is we've like created a tool that we kind of use in our own like brainstorming world where there are 50 objects, all hand illustrated, really beautiful all each on a card and a series of like exercises and activities you can go through as a team. Awesome. That'd be like, Hey, if I was in the room with Ox, I would use this, but because I'm not, I've got this thing. And in a month we hope to you know, be able to kind of start our Kickstarter around this uh, and see how many people are interested in it. It could be that no one except for our moms <laughs> or it could be like, everybody's like, this is really useful because we use it on a regular basis as a yeah. team. And where would they find that if they were uh, interested in a couple weeks from now? Okay, so probably your best play is to go on Insta yeah. and to be uh, following at Ox Creates because uh, yep. when we release it, you'll kind of like see it on there and you can learn more. Perfect. That is Jesse Oxford, who was the, I mean, can we call you Grand Poobah? Or no, is that not, is that passe? It doesn't right. fit on the no, card that's very well. well. That's actually, yeah, yeah I, I, I prefer that. <laughs> Founder and creative director of Ox Creative. I cannot encourage you enough. Go to oxcreates.com if you're interested in learning more. Jesse, thank you so thank much you. for joining us today, man. It's been a pleasure to be with these two uncommonly good-looking hey. men. Hey! I'll, I'll, I'll take we'll that. Take we'll take it. <laughs> Those compliments were not paid for, we promise. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkin here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up in the second hour, we're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness. And for the rest of the hour, we're going to be joined by none other than Mark Galley. You're not going to want to miss it. This is The Common Good.
everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to, and I encourage you to do so, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. We post almost all of our articles there, and there's a number of lively discussions going on there. Plus, you can message us if you have suggestions for a topic or an article. You can review us on the Facebook page. All of that does really help us out. Plus, you can find us on 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, wherever it is you get your podcasts, all the subscribe, rate, review that you are willing to do there also does magically help us out. And uh, my goodness, what a show today. Yes. We got some really, really tremendous guests in studio. And, I mean, Jesse was phenomenal. Je- We've had other people who have worked for Jesse. Yes. But never Jesse himself. <laughs> so that was super exciting. And then coming up the rest of this hour, I am so excited to We've talk with Mark Galley. We've been looking forward to it. We really have, man. I think that's going to be just a phenomenal interview. Uh, but before we dive into this first article here of the second hour from Christina Today, a little word from Thrivent Financial. Thrivent Financial, of whom you know. I'm a big fan. Yes, you are. Is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit serving members for over a hundred years. That's more than a century, Brian. Mm. If you've ever wanted to be your own boss, you ever wanted to be your own boss, Brian? All the time. You kind of are, though, aren't you? (laughs) Depends on the day. That's a good point. (laughs) But if you've ever wanted to be your own boss, using your entrepreneurial skills to come alongside Christians in their wise with money journey, uh, I want to encourage you to make the first step in changing your career and the lives of those you serve at Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers. Or you can just simply call 630-598-2128. That's 630-598-2128. Go ahead, pick up the phone right now, make it happen, and just tell them that Ian from The Common Good sent you. Okay, so this article out of Christianity Today is, I feel like this is almost becoming a theme of the types of things that you and I have kind of gone after in this political climate Mm -hmm. where everything Mm -hmm. feels a little... Uh, charged, I guess. Is that the good use, yeah. right use of that word? Um, so I'm curious. Just give us kind of the overview premise of what's going on here in the article, and then we'll get into some of the weeds. Yeah, it's written by Jeff Peabody. He is a writer and lead pastor of New Day Church in Tacoma, Washington. And it's called Forgive Us Our Sins, and then in parentheses, and theirs too. Uh, and he begins the article by talking about that famous thing that we talked about a couple months ago where John MacArthur said uh, talked about uh, Breath Moore should go home. Uh-huh. And uh, Peabody here, Jeff Peabody says, what was more unsettling was, than his tone was the response of the audience laughing. And he goes on to talk about out of the book of Daniel and the prayer of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Right. And he talks about how in that prayer... Uh, It's a prayer of confession uh, and that Daniel's asking for forgiveness and he fully identifies himself with his people. We have sinned. We have rebelled. And and Jeff Peabody uses that as a way here to say, you know what? All too often, we as Christians talk about their sins Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to seeing our own sin, but also asking forgiveness for the sake of the church and praying for the sake of the church. And that all too often we're willing to go. Yeah, that's his problem. That's his Hmm. sin. That's her sin. And not willing to own up to either our own role or just to say, you know what? Ian has sinned, but but we are brothers in Christ. Like we're part of the same family. And so it's not my job to just tear him down. Right. But instead, not just to pray for him, but to even to even uh, lament and confess on behalf of us together. Hmm. I like what he says here. He says, Daniel's approach is so opposite from my own. When it comes to collective sins, whether those of the church, the clergy, the nation, I want to distance myself from the offense. I want to point out why they are not me, and mm-hmm. I want to denounce what I see them doing, which you and I probably have been guilty of, too. For right? sure. Or if we see what we deem sort of left-field, wonky Christianity that we don't want to you know, have any association with, you and I 
will often be quick to say, like, well, that's not, yeah. <laughs> if you're looking for a church, that's not how we are. Exactly. Or that's not a belief yeah. system that I subscribe to. So, like, I, I, get, I get what he's getting at there. He says, I'm not alone in this. There's a long history of line drawing within the church, going all the way back to Paul and Barnabas, parting company over whether John Mark was fit to serve. That's from Acts 15. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther condemned the Anabaptist as heretical for the rejection of infant baptism and called for their execution or banishment. That's more intense than we typically get nowadays. Mm -hmm. The Puritans went to war with the Church of England over reforms they saw as non-negotiable. George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers fought bitterly over predestination. Entire movements and countless church plants trace their origins to a movement when insurmountable differences seem to call for breaking fellowship. Today, we are at another cultural flashpoint where divisions within the faith are particularly severe and God-fearing people of all persuasions are certain they hold the moral high ground. Mm. And then he gets into disunity Christ by Christina Cleveland. I don't know if you've ever read that book. I have not. So it's phenomenal and this quote is great. It says, as much as we'd like to believe that Jesus is the author of our right Christian and wrong Christian distinctions, we can't because it is simply untrue. By pursuing us with great tenacity in spite of our differences with him, he shows us that he doesn't have need for those distinctions, Mm. which I'm sure somebody listening is thinking, great, what am I supposed to do with all of that? What would you say to someone who, you know, like many of us, often want to create that kind of distance yeah. from particularly religious expressions that we don't see any unity, you know, in ourselves with? Yeah, I love what he says later on to answer that question you just asked. He says, the very thing I hate in those Christians, and he puts those in quotes, is cause for me to remember my own ongoing dependence on the cross. Rather than withdraw and separate, I can stand side by side with with all other sinners who have responded to the offer of forgiveness, however imperfectly, in so doing, I embody the very message of the cross. I'm not suggesting we stop calling out sin as if accountability doesn't matter. Yeah, right, right. Paul's exhortations to the Corinthians regarding church discipline still apply, but the aim of such separation is always the restoration of the individual and the hope of the repaired relationship. But I appreciate what he's writing is basically he's saying, even when you're pointing out the sin of other people uh, in in uh, remember that you're a brother and sister in Christ and allow it to point out for yourself your own sin. Right. Allow it to right. cause you to look in the mirror and go, yeah, you know what? Uh, I might not be struggling with that sin. That might not be where I'm at. But, man, I got to be reminded that I'm not perfect. And here's that's going to drive me to confession. That's going to drive me to hmm. repentance. And I think it's that sort of unity, even with Christians we disagree with. I don't think this is saying, like, don't point out where other Christians are wrong. Right. Don't point out heresy. I certainly don't think that. But it's saying don't allow it to make you arrogant to say, oh, good good thing I'm not like them. Yeah, that's a good word, man. I like what he says here. He says, Daniel undermines our assumption that pronouncing judgment is the most pressing prophetic responsibility. He goes on, he says, uh, if ever there was a moment to disassociate yourself from the pack, this would be it. Had I been Daniel, I would have wanted God to know with absolute clarity that I was nothing at all like the corrupted masses around me. Mm. I would want him to treat me differently in light of my stellar performance in Babylon. I am not one of them, God. Don't hold their stubbornness against me. Daniel, however, chooses solidarity with the hell-bent on rebellion group. As much as he may have wanted to highlight his distinctions from them, he had every right to do so. He not only comes alongside them, but he claims their sin as his own. He confesses on behalf of a people entrenched in their evil ways and far from repentant. What makes this choice so profound and beautiful is what 
it foreshadows. We have our own Daniel in Jesus. Christ mm. steps in on our behalf and picks up all the guilt that isn't his. And Isaiah 53, 12 says that he was counted as a sinner and he bore the sins of many and he pled with God for sinners. Mm. I think that as sort of a a prayer for unity is such an interesting take. And now more than ever, man, what a what a necessary uh, approach to this yes. kind of unity, don't you think? I do think so. Like we talk a lot about unity in the church uh, and big C church. And I think this is kind of an article that, that really challenges us with where does the rubber meet the road with that one? Right. When, yeah. when other faiths uh, or not other faiths, but other parts of Christianity are doing things that we don't agree with when other people are talking, to story, how do we, how do we interact with that? How do we stand unified while still calling out sin and allowing it to challenge ourselves? Yeah. Well said, man. Well, coming up next, we've been excited for this interview. For quite some time, it is Mark Galley, former editor-in-chief of Christianity Today and the author of a recent Karl Barth biography. You are not going to want to miss that interview. He's going to be with us for the remainder of the hour here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality it was just their heart to give back to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously to be wise with money and live generously and that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them and so if you're interested in learning more I can't encourage you enough to head to thrivent.com today Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to, and I encourage you to, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. We post all our articles there, and you can interact there. You can also find us at 1160hope.com. Plus, we are podcasted wherever it is you get your podcast. If you wouldn't mind, a little subscribe, rate, review does somehow magically help us out. And uh, Brian and I say it all the time. We we love doing the show in general, but we really, really love when we get to have mm-hmm. in-studio guests. And we have been excited about this interview not to put you on the spot <laughs> for quite some time, though. We are really, really looking forward to this interview. So for the rest of the hour, we'll be joined in the studio by none other than Mark Galley. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. It is so good to have you back. We decided it's been July since you were here yeah, last. Yeah. But Not quite a year. For okay. anyone who doesn't know you, your story, who you are, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and you can be as personal or professional as you like. Okay. Well, the most interesting thing about my life right now is that I'm retired, newly there retired. There you go. <laughs> Congratulations. So there's, nothing, there's really, really nothing more to say than that, <laughs> other than I don't have to go anywhere or be anywhere at any particular time. I want to be retired. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds beautiful. And tomorrow morning, for example, I'm going fishing up in Wisconsin. Uh, so, you really are? Yeah. That's phenomenal. So, well, now my but jealousy is Before that, <laughs> I was editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Uh, most well-known, unfortunately or unfortunately, for an editorial <laughs> I wrote in December. Mm-hmm. About Donald Trump, I served at Christianity Today all, uh, in three different magazines there for thirty years. Before that, I was a pastor for ten years. Wow! So wow! 
So most people, you brought it up, uh, <laughs> you gained worldwide notoriety, so worldwide, worldwide yep. notoriety at the end of December uh, when you wrote uh, in an editorial uh, entitled Trump should be removed from office. And I, I, so many questions. But the first one I want to know is um, what spurred you to write that? Was it something you'd been planning? Uh, talk to us about the process that led up to that. Hmm. Yeah, I wish I could say it was well thought out and planned long in advance, <laughs> but it was not. In fact, I was hoping, I, I knew my retirement was coming, and yeah. uh, one of my jobs as editor-in-chief is to write editorials that speak to issues of the day. Hmm. Uh, and I, I, believe it or not, I, I'm still a pastor at heart, and hmm. I really do want everyone to love me, and I want to love everybody else. <laughs> so I don't like to write controversial editorials, and I That's was actually right. trying to avoid writing one on this topic. Um for, the, for those reasons, for psychological reasons right. only. But I'd been pondering about CT's history about this sort of thing, and we'd mm-hmm. written an editorial when Bill Clinton was impeached, then when right. Nixon was impeached, and I thought, oh, man, I think we're going to have to do something. But I checked with my editorial director Thursday morning when I walked in and said, you really think we should do this? And he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, just like that. There was no hesitation. So it was like, okay, I have an hour before my next meeting. I need to pound this thing out. No way. And... Um, this is what came off my fingertips, and uh, wow. I'm sometimes I reread it now and thinking, my gosh, that was a, such a strong, such a strong editorial, much different than my, my typical. My typical editorials have yep. always been on the one hand, on the other. Let's mm. listen to each other charitably. Let's let the the system work itself out. And for some reason, that morning I thought, you know, that that just isn't going to work anymore. I I need mm. to say what I think my our readers need to hear, yeah. and just. To, Put the, put the thing down on the table and let, yeah. it, let it be what it is. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't know if there's any way to remember or not, but did you have any sense when you were writing it that this was going to get the kind of attention and traction that no it did? Way. Not no even way. close? No, not even close. I mean, we at CT on a particular day, we might have three to 500 people on our website looking at one article or another. Okay. On a very viral article, which we th- I thought this might get that. Mm-hmm. Okay. We might have 3,000 to 5,000 people on this site at any given moment, just for a few hours. Yeah. yeah. Well, when this went up, within a, it didn't take long for the site to crash. When we were able to get it back up, we had 17,000 people on the oh, site. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> and we just had... Just had no idea. My IT people were so angry with me. <laughs> they said, you should have warned us. And I said, I didn't, I didn't know. I right? had yeah. no idea. I just thought it would be typically viral at best. It was December 19th. Yeah, right. People are Christmas. shopping for Christmas. They're yeah. getting ready for... They're distracted. Yeah, yeah. they're distracted. What the heck? <laughs> oh, that's so and all of a sudden, um, that, that's happening, and I'm getting calls from uh, NPR and Washington Post and wow. Atlantic, and I'm thinking, what the heck is going <laughs> yeah. on here? Yeah, it was a complete. That's wild. Do you, uh, if you had known what the pushback, both positive and negative, was going to be, would you still have written it? Do you have any regrets, or mm. are you glad that you wrote it? Well, you know, anytime you're in journalism, anything you put up, because it's usually on demand. You, you know, it's excellence on demand. Yeah, especially in a daily like like CT is. It doesn't take more than three minutes. And you think, you know, I could have phrased that differently. Yeah, so right. there's, there's a fair a few things in here that I could have made clear. I think that probably the biggest thing is. Uh, I I probably uh, drew with a too, little too broad of a brush because hmm. I do understand my friends who uh, voted for Trump because they were really voting against Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Or they voted because they're Republican and Trump, for all his bombast, is really just another Republican mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Hmm. Uh, they recognize the moral problems that he brings to the office of the presidency. Mm-hmm. 
They're not happy about it. They're not afraid to acknowledge that. The people I was writing about are people who either pretend like Trump's moral problems are not a problem, mm-hmm. or they ignore them, or they say, they're oh, they're just rough edges, right. or they actually defend mm-hmm. his, his caustic and denigrating language, hmm. and even use messianic language to talk about yeah, it. Those, right. are, those are really the target I'm, I'm referring to yeah. in, in my editorial, and why... You know, even though the title is Trump should be removed from office, in in reality, that's not as important as the fact that evangelicals who idolize Trump to the degree that they use messianic language and support of him. Right. That's such a denigration to the witness of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what I was really challenging. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that, you you know, you're getting calls from these massive publications, but I imagine you, you're also getting some a lot of negative press. Right. And I don't, I don't know if that's making its way to you directly or if Twitter was vitriolic. What was, what was uh, it like being on the receiving end of some of that? Yeah. Well, the day the day after I uh, so the, the editorial went up on a Thursday afternoon and then I had a couple of interviews one with uh, NPR and one with the CNN on Friday morning. Hmm. Uh, then I came to my office on Friday and my desk phone literally rang all day long. I never picked it up once because I was answering two different email threads on my phone oh my or on my computer wow. and my phone. And I didn't even have time to get to my voice, yeah. any of my voicemail messages. Wow. And I will say, though, what was encouraging was probably the personal emails that came my way were yeah. probably eight or nine to one in favor. Wow. Oh, Very no appreciative. Wow. Good. Okay. Uh, as the snail mail started to come in, it was about 50-50. Got it. I suspect, I haven't actually asked anyone at the office what the ratio uh, that, of the emails that came to the office. I suspect they were probably closer to 50-50 as really? well. Mm-hmm. So... I in that buzz or fuzz of that hmm. busyness, yeah. I didn't really have time to even hear people say, "This is a great editorial." This is not a great editorial. It's mostly, <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of thank you yeah. for this, and a lot of, um, "Hey, can you come on our show?" Yeah, and that's wow. when it was like, you know, I just don't follow media. Is this a good show for me to be on? <laughs> is this going to be a problem for CT yes. for me to be on this show or yeah, not? Right. I needed a I needed a handler. Yes. Right. And I didn't have one. Yeah, right. So I basically boiled down to I'm free. Yeah. I'm not free. I forget which morning show it was. Might have been see the CNN one. I remember turning it on and seeing you sitting in your living room, I think. And I'm like, "Hey, that's Mark. He's been on our show. <laughs> yeah. There he is in his living room." Well, that's like, the deal. I rarely rarely take interviews with yeah. stations because they make you go downtown. It's an hour down there. You wait a half an hour to 45 minutes in the studio. You get right. on air. You're there for 10 minutes. You leave. Yeah. It's two or three hours for 10 minutes of exposure at best. Oh, my yeah. goodness. But, and so I would tell them, no, I'm not going to come down to the studio. Okay, we'll send out a truck. We'll thinking, send out a truck, man. Oh, my gosh. I thought, for some, okay, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> if you're going to send out a truck, fine. Yeah. I'll do it. So that's when you knew the article really had fire. Yeah. You were like, yeah. okay, we might we might be onto something here. Right. Well, that third voice you're hearing is none other than Mark Galley, former editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, and he is kind enough to stay with us in the studio for the rest of the hour. You're not going to want to miss that interview coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on the Facebooks, as the cool kids say. <laughs> none because, of them say that. None of them, you're right. I don't even know cool kids. Who am I kidding? First of all, they're not even on Facebook. But yes. <laughs> like, what is Facebook? Exactly. You can find us on TikTok. You can't. Uh, anyway, on Facebook, though, it is The Common Good Radio Show, and we post all of our articles there, and you can interact with what we post. You can send suggestions for future shows and subjects. You can also go to 1160hope.com slash thecommongood or wherever it is you get your podcast. But we have been so thrilled. We've been looking forward to this interview for a long time mm-hmm. to have Mark Galley, former editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, in the studio, in the flesh. And last segment, you were just talking about what a wild December you had, which I imagine probably transitioned into a wild January a little bit. A little right? bit, yeah, yeah. But now you're like fully retired. Mm. Are Pretty you feeling much. it? Are you I'm, feeling like, I'm starting okay, to feel it. Yeah. What has that been like? I mean, it feels like so you have this 30 years at CT and then 10 years as a pastor before that. Yeah. And, and then you go out with this like massive yeah. bang and now you're like, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> how, how has retirement yeah. been for you? Or what are you like most looking forward to kind of leaving the, this profession? You're still going to write, I assume? Or uh, is yeah. that, okay. I'm looking forward to having fewer and fewer radio interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Just as long no. as it's no radio interviews. Yeah, yes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, after you know the the weekend, I did a lot of TV stuff, which is five to f- five to seven minute appearances. Yep. And after that weekend, it was like I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. I much prefer a format like this, really, where you get a little more time to explain yourself. Right, it's not just a bunch of sound bites. So. Yeah. I've done a few of a few of those things over the last month and a half or so, um, but I'm settling into retirement, and I'm not the type of person who. I mean, I was looking forward to retirement. Yep, I mean, I, yeah. when I started at CT, I was uh, at a monthly, and then I went to another monthly. Then I went to CT, the flagship. It's, uh, I'm sorry, quarterly, a quarterly, and then CT is a monthly. Oh yeah. But with the advent of the internet, it became a daily. Mm, yeah. And for a person who's a his- historian mm-hmm. and a theologian who likes to read something and then think about it mm-hmm. and then react to it in a couple weeks when the thoughts have gelled, right? To have to do journalism. On demand, yeah. every day, sometimes even on the weekends, I was just my spirit was just dragging mm, down, and, and the main reason I hung around because I did a, I felt a definite sense of call to be at CT, but as soon as I sensed there because of transitions in leadership at CT that it was a good it was okay for me to leave, hmm. I had planned to planned to leave in January third of this year. It had you know had nothing to do with the editorial, had yeah, nothing right. to do with the transition in leadership. It was right. just. I was ready to move on, so I'm really looking forward to at least for a while having to go nowhere and having to do nice. nothing I want to don't want to do. Now that I'm still vol- I'm volunteering for an organization called World Relief, mm-hmm. love World Relief. There, yep. I've got some apartments I manage. I like to fish. I like to play golf. I've got grandkids I want to still wrestle with. So you're not so, bored, is what you're saying? Uh, oh my <laughs> gosh! <laughs> yeah, and I've got you know things I'm I'm trying to learn to draw. I thought that'd be fun to learn to do oh, learn fun. a new skill. Yeah, you know, now that I have time, so yeah. I have the irritating things about retirement. You think you'll have all the time in the world to do anything you <laughs> right. want, and you still have to make choices. That's yes. what everybody it's says. So annoying. Everybody, everybody I know who's retired, they're always like, "I'm so busy." But <laughs> exactly. Let, let me ask you another question about the editorial. Uh, I remember right after it came out. And um, I remember one of the pushbacks on social media was people saying he wrote this because he's retiring. Oh, my God. It's a week to go. No. So he's kind of going out with a bang. Let me let you, uh, sounds no. like that's not true. But why don't no. you speak to that claim? 
No, not at all. The thing is, uh, most people, I'm a very presentist person. Mm. I'm kind of in the moment. Mm. And so when I'm, anytime I'm writing an editorial, people think, were you thinking about donors? Were you thinking about subscribers? Were you Uh. thinking about what, what the consequences of this would be? And I will have to say, it's probably a strength and a weakness. I will admit it's sometimes a weakness Mm. that I don't think beyond what I think I need, what needs to be said right now, and what's the best way to say it. Oh, interesting. So I didn't really think about the fact that I was going to retire, that I was mm. now going to say what I really thought. It was like everything I was thinking about was looking backwards in the sense of, is this the time for me after mm. patiently listening to my, especially most conservative brethren mm-hmm. on this point, trying to understand what they were trying to say. And I just felt like at that date, the day after the impeachment hearings, yeah. this was the day it was time mm. to put the, draw a line in the sand and say, this is where CT stands. Yeah. And uh, but, yeah, but believe it or not, nothing else went went through my mm-hmm. head. Whether how would this affect donations? How would the uh, subscriptions? We do have people at the office that think and worry about that. Thank goodness. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. You need that as and, a part of the uh, infrastructure. Yeah. Some people came up to me afterwards and said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I've always striven for editorial independence. Mm-hmm. So I feel like our job, the mission of CT the magazine is to write, do good journalism, write strong editorials without needlessly offending people, and then you got to let the at some point you have to let the chips fall where they may yeah well and i just i want to say personally too how much i've appreciated you and your leadership and ct as a whole because you know brian and i have only been doing the show a little over a year and we reference ct daily almost more than anyone else well, to be honest great. because we know it's going to be smart it's going to be thoughtful yeah. it's also going to be honest and level like there's just so many aspects to that and mm-hmm. you mentioned and i think we talked about this in july a little bit too is there any hope for this sort of patient, long-form type of writing in the future? Because he and I feel some of this weight, too. Like, okay, we got to weigh in on this today. Yeah. It'll be passe tomorrow. Right. I don't love that either, and I'm not even a historian or a theologian. Yeah, yeah. Is there any hope for that in the future, you think, of like a, a pendulum swing back to long-form patient reading and research? Yeah, you do see more and more uh, hmm. uh, places online, like there's a, a site I subscribe to called Long Reads. It, oh, no all, kidding. all it does is find the best pieces that are longer than 500 words. Wow. <laughs> and if you want to read that sort of thing, you can. I don't know how many people read it, re, uh, subscribe to something like that. Hmm. But I do, And it is harder to read online for that length of time, although yeah. I will say I've, I've just learned to train myself to do that because I just enjoy that sort hmm. of thing. Uh, but I think there will always be a niche for a certain that that type of reader, that type of person, that type of thinker who wants to do that. Hmm. I do think with the type of things you guys do, I bless you for doing it. I don't particularly care for it all hmm. that much. Right. Um, but every once in a while, I get in the mood to find out what's happening now. What are people saying? Right. You know, it's people like you who help me kind of do that. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. We do appreciate that. Uh, I'm still I'm so fascinated by the reaction that people had to your um, to your editorial. I, did it affect personal friendships at all? Politics, like when we talk politics, maybe with one or two people, it's so, you know, emotion. Yeah. You were all over the, you know, people yeah. were seeing your face on the TV. Did it affect, you know, friendships that you have? No friendships. I mean, one, I think of one gentleman, a good friend who was who was hurt by the editorial. I think we went out for coffee and mm-hmm. kind of worked it through. Uh, so nothing along those lines. Uh, the thing that was most surprising was the number of people who were not Christian, Hmm. Self-admitted atheists, agnostics, Jews, former evangelicals, 
who said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for writing this. I was waiting for someone from the evangelical community to speak up like this. No now, kidding. they didn't know that there are a lot of people that have been saying this, but for some right. reason, it was this editorial that yep. got attention, and they were so... And it's given me a lot of opportunities to be on a number of podcasts by mm-hmm. uh, agnostics, atheists, Jews, uh, millennials who are, not, are non-religious. And because uh, because of the opportunity, it's invariably the conversation has to turn to what I believe and why I believe it yeah. and how what I believe affects what I've said. And you have a chance to talk about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a really tremendous opportunity. That's remarkable. Mark Galley is going to join us for one more segment. And I want to ask you coming up next a little bit about maybe some writing plans in the future. Just because so much of what you've written in the past has been so meaningful to us on the show and me personally. So we'll talk about that. Maybe a little bit more about fishing if we got time. (laughs) And wherever else the wind. (laughs) That all and more coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And very graciously, Mark Galley is joining us for one more segment here today. I mean, he's learn- retired. What does he have to do? You know? <laughs> exactly. Still, he made the drive up here and everything, though. Well, I want this to get over with because my wife said, I get to cook dinner tonight. <laughs> so I got to get going here, guys. Okay? Let's, totally let's understand. Totally That's understand. Awesome. Do you know what you're going to cook yet? Do you have plans for oh, that? Yeah. Oh, you do? Uh, yeah. Okay, so you're exactly. a planner in that regard. Yeah. It, it was funny. When, when I first was thinking of retirement, I said, honey, you know, uh, since I'm retired and you're still working, maybe maybe I should cook cook some of the meals. And she said, that's okay, honey. <laughs> so when she told me this morning that I am going to cook dinner tonight because she won't have time, I was, it was like a... My chance. Like, yeah. All right. Like, coach right. is putting you I in. Can't, yes. I can't mess this up, you man. Get, you get one at bat. Here it is. <laughs> well, we got to have you back to find out how that went. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so as Brian mentioned, you, you are retired. Yeah. And, uh... You have all these talents and all these interests, which I, re- I actually really appreciate. You mentioned earlier, like, I'm going to learn to draw. Why not? Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. you have the, the bandwidth now to do that. Um, what is on the horizon for you writing-wise? Do you have stuff that's been in the pressure cooker for a while? They're like, now I really have the energy to, to take mm. a dive into that. Well, I think I need to, the, the book, uh, when you had me on the show in July, it was based on a series of uh, essays called The Elusive Presence, which have now been expanded into a book called uh, When Did We Start Forgetting God, which will be due out in April. Oh, outstanding. In which I basically the thesis is that we uh, have neglected the love of God uh, for the sake of the love of neighbor. And mm. I make an argument that we need to be spending more time on loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with mm. all our mind, with all our strength. And I touch on some of what that might look like, but it's mostly a book of critique, how we've how we've forgotten how to do that mm. or how we mm. we get sidetracked from doing that. And I feel an obligation that maybe I should, because I've had a lot of people say, what does that exactly look yeah. like? Yeah, right. It doesn't mean you ignore the neighbor, but what does it exactly look like? So I think I need to th- do a follow-up book that kind of talks about that a little more concretely. Hmm. That's one thing. I, I have studied, been reading and studying fiction for some time, and I'm hoping to dabble in that, that world. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Nice. So... Uh, so those are the That's two, two principles and the things I'm thinking about right now. And yeah. then in the meantime, I've been given a lot of invitations based on this editorial to speak at like Princeton Seminary, Princeton University, Whoa. Eastern University, actually a, uh, a magazine outlet in Switzerland. So 
No kidding. So I'm, I have to prepare those talks and that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you like the uh, the platform of like giving addresses or teaching in uh, those environments? It's, fun. it's it's okay. It's more of a, you know, I uh, when I was in it, being inundated with all these, I just told my wife, I just wonder if this is a distraction from what I'm really supposed to be doing because mm. I'm, I'm really tired. It just feels like work. Yeah. Mm. Right. And she kind of took me to the woodshed and said, who do, <laughs> who do you think opened these doors for you? <laughs> okay. I, I like her. <laughs> yeah. You cannot just give up because it's hard and you don't like it. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. All right. She's so like, you're I kind of again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I try to respond to any invitation I get if I'm free. Hmm. Uh, I try to respond, and then what comes of it, it's, you know, it's up to the Lord what comes yeah, of it. And I'll, right. I'll do what I'm supposed to do in the meantime. Yeah, I love that. With everything you've seen at CT, and then obviously this firestorm around this editorial, as we march towards this election, um, I don't know how to ask this except to say, are you hopeful for the evangelical church, or are you uh, worried? Where, what is your general feel now? Yeah, I think I'm a little more worried or a little less optimistic or hopeful than I was when I was actually at uh, CT. Well, mm. I should say before I wrote this editorial, mm. it does seem like it's going to be uh, it does seem like there's already a deep split in the movement. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. may, it may just solidify at this point that yeah. if you're an evangelical, you're a Republican. And right. if right. and you just you know, that's just the way it is. And there's right. no more room for a place in that world. For there to be real genuine, we got Republicans, we got Democrats, all in the same, but Jesus is ultimately Lord. Yeah, right, right. And um, we'll see what, uh, you know, we'll just have to see how it unfolds. But um, I think one of my main things I'd like to see is that Christians on the left and on the right can agree to disagree and agree forcefully, disagree forcefully if they need to. Yeah, Yeah, right. What I find especially troubling is when. Uh, it moves to the level of, oh, you can't possibly be a Christian if you mm-hmm. voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't possibly be a Christian if you think Hillary Clinton would make a great president. Yeah. Right, right. Where they actually question the faith of the person based yes. on their political choices. Yeah. Right. As you can tell from my editorial, I have deep convictions about certain political choices. But I don't think it's my job to judge the state of the soul of those mm. people who disagree with right. me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can disagree with their actions. I can disagree 100%. with their words. I can right. tell them I think they should do or think differently. But their relationship with Jesus is their relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. And we're just going to let let the Lord take care of that. Mm. Why, why do you think that that posture is so rare? Because Brian and I, not nearly as eloquently, have been saying a lot of those similar things for yeah. a while now. And sometimes we'll even catch heat for it. Like, how in the world can you even entertain the idea that a Christ follower would vote for blank? Yeah. And I'm like, right. I think you're missing yeah. the, the point, actually. Why yeah. do you think that's so rare? To feel the way that you feel, it, it is interesting. I, that would that probably deserves a, a book or two, but it does <laughs> seem like politics in American life, as the nation has become increasingly secular, the most important thing that transcends our day to day living that's bigger than us. Whoops, <laughs> that's bigger than us. Yeah, is politics. Yeah, and anything that's bigger than us takes on an importance in our lives that we want to make ultimate, mm-hmm. even though we know better as Christians it shouldn't be ultimate. Uh, but you see that in the life uh, in the university with where the life of the mind is something that's supposed to be big. But you mm-hmm. see tremendous divisions there. Yeah. Rancorous right. divisions. You see that in the field of art. People in the art world, they get they get really upset when someone presents a, a gallery show or whatever that they whose whose vision of the world they don't agree with. Right. That's because art is supposed to be this thing that transcends and is bigger than us. And so we get really passionate about it. Hmm. Uh, and as Christians who live in the world, we become mm-hmm. of the world a lot of ways, 
you know, whether we think we're being shaped by it or not. Hmm. So, yeah, it just happens uh, that we start to begin to think that a person's political stance is actually indic- indicative of, so- of the state of their soul. That's mm-hmm. well said. It is. Yeah. I guess you said you used to be a pastor before being at CT. If you were pastoring now uh, and you were talking about this subject to your church, hmm. what are one or two things you'd tell them? Like, hey, we've got to do this. This this is how we do this well in the political world. Hmm. Yeah, I, a couple things I'd say that I have said in editorials is just to re- always remember that the most important person in the universe <laughs> whom we call Lord every week is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the most important political thing we do every week is we announce that Jesus is Lord, That's not, right. not anyone else. That's right. And the second thing, I, I would work really hard at helping people in my congregation talk to one of one another face to face about the things they mm-hmm. they believe politically. Yes. I would have uh, small groups to just say, okay, uh, you know, tell us what you think and why you think it, because there's something really helpful instead of this abstract. This person voted for Trump, or this person voted for Hillary, and right. Yeah, there's all these uh, labels we want to put on them. Right. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm dealing with a human being hmm. whose children I know, whose children I've taught in Sunday school, uh, whose wife went through a battle with cancer, and all of a sudden, you're going, all right, all right, all right, I just got to back off a little bit and realize this is a real human being that's taking this point of view. I really mm-hmm. disagree with him. Right. But he's a brother in Christ. And I, the churches that have been able to do that, I think it's just it's a wonderful model for the rest of the culture. Absolutely. I think, I think that's remarkable. Mark, it has been so wonderful having you on the show again. Before we wrap up, where can people go to find you or follow you on Twitter or read what you're writing or uh, Yeah, say I hello? post on Twitter every once in a while now. Uh, that's Mark Galley. That's my handle there. And then I have a website, markgalley.com. And then I also publish something called The Galley Report, no. uh, which you can find by going to CT. ChristianityToday.com slash the gallery report, and you subscribe to that. I, I post on Fridays. I link to stories and comment on them. That is awesome. outstanding. Mark Galley, thank you so much this for joining wonderful. us today. This has been a ton of fun. We'll hope that you'll come back again sometime. And maybe we'll take this to, uh, to fishing together. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's been Mark Galley. When you've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 